Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. All right, we're back at Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and I've got Krish Mohan with me. How you doing? Hello, I'm uh, I'm doing okay. I'm surviving. This is uh, <clears throat> the best that I think. <laughs> yeah, we all can. <laughs> I, I watched I watched your video on uh, uh, get, uh, the getting through the stressful stuff, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just it, 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 we're we're all dealing and different ways uh i you know yeah. i took a walk with my wife uh before we started recording and it was raining a little bit and we still walked and that just just what you got to do yeah i'm uh I, I, this, this this week has been uh a little bit more of a challenge than last week i think last week so i got off the road after a month-long tour came home to basically put out a bunch of fires and reschedule Mm -hmm. a a shit ton of gigs, uh, that, that I ended up losing. So as of now, it's like mid May is, is, uh, is how many gigs I've lost up till, uh, hopefully it won't go past that, but, uh, but who knows? I don't, I, every day is a, is a fun new nightmare to deal with uh, (laughs) (laughs) with this thing. But, um, you know, last week I, I was pretty, um, pretty headset on like creating content pretty consistently and writing a whole lot more, mm-hmm. uh, and getting back into shape and exercising. Uh, and I, I think I just went too fast with it. So now my body is like, Hey, we're, we're done. Uh, <laughs> so we're just gonna, yeah. yeah, we're just gonna chill out. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, your brain's still going to function at the speed that it does, but the body's done. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so you know, you can think about writing, yeah, uh, but we're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like my body is mutinying against my brain. Uh, so, but, but, I'm, but I'm slowly getting back into it. Uh, I got a, a we, we were talking off mic about get, dealing with allergies and, mm-hmm. and sinus trouble. So uh, I'm getting through all of that, uh, all of that crap. Yeah. Uh, that's the, uh, Travis Zizol. Yeah. The, yeah. Zizol has been my uh, savior. So it's great. I got, I got to uh, also do a shout out to Zach Funk while we're here since you're uh, yeah. wearing his t-shirt. I am wearing his t-shirt. And he if introduced it, us. So that's it. cool. You were actually yeah. on the, um, the uh, panel podcast that we did. And that's been just, uh, we did that on, the I think like 12th. a week ago. I think we did it on the 12th. Yeah. No, we did it on the 16th. Well, we, 16th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's been 10 days. Um, and right when we did that, that was when things were shutting down for normal people, but most comics and other performers already had stuff canceling um, or yeah. 
almost everything canceled. So um, now we're at a point where everything's canceled and nothing's <laughs> going on. So, you know, non-essential, anything that's not essential is the, is the buzzword that yeah. everybody's thrown around now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I wonder what things are actually essential. I, I think in Indiana, they're keeping the liquor stores open. So I'm happy about that. <laughs> I think I think it was my sister that said they they tried to close the liquor stores in Denver and everybody like freaked out mm. and and like bum rushed the liquor store. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if you ever wanted to wonder whether uh, America did have a drinking problem or yeah. not, uh, I think we nailed the answer. on yeah. that. <laughs> I think we figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yes. Uh, I think as a country, uh, America needs to go through a 12 step program. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, t I was, uh, <laughs> my wife and I were watching the news this morning and I was really surprised that, uh, only now this was as of this morning, 28 States had a, uh, shelter in place, uh, implemented. Um, so, and I just turned to my wife and I said, no, there's 50 States still, right? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, we're just a little bit better than half and, and that's not good. I know Bama, I know Alabama hasn't done any restrictions yet. On, on like closing on business, places? On business. The schools, the schools oh, okay. are closed, but business, um, is, uh, my, uh, my, uh, son's fiance is, um, uh, works for a bank and they're still operating. They're looking on a contingency plan and, uh, just doing drive through, but you know, she's still, She's still working, and my son, uh, he he can do his work from home, so he's working from home. Yeah, I I really don't know how to how to how to feel about it because every day it's like something new and different comes up. Um, and you know, my sister's in my sister's in the sciences. She she does a lot of bio, biochemistry and virology and stuff. That's mm -hmm. her field of study, and she teaches um, at a university in Maryland and she and I were talking about, you know, like what's the best thing to do in this situation? Mm. Um, like, what is this thing? What are the challenges that people are, people in the scientific community are looking at? And really it's, it's, you know, it's the two week waiting period to find out whether you, whether these symptoms are, are what it is. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do have tests and I think America needs to get over a little bit of its, its hubris and its pride and be like, yeah, we're fine. We're, you can say we're great or whatever, but sometimes greatness means taking fucking help from other people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like there's tests in place that, but you know, you should probably take a look into, but I, one of the things I was even thinking about was, and I haven't really been able to talk to her a whole lot, but there's this thing called herd immunity that I've started to do a little bit of research about. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a, um, independent journalist named Kim Iverson. She's brought this up, um, on, on her live streams is, is this thing called herd immunity, which is basically like the people that are in the, um, what is it called? The, uh, the high risk groups, mm -hmm. right? Your, your elderly folks, mostly your elderly folks and kids, you maybe don't expose them a whole lot, you know, d tell them to kind of stay quarantined for a little while um, and help them out. But the rest of us, everybody from like, you know, 16 to 65, we just go about our regular day. And if we get infected with it, 
um, and it does spread around the way that that it clearly has spread around. Mm. We get it, and our body builds antibodies and develops yeah. its own immune system to it, so that it just kind of it, it's like natural selection takes mm-hmm. takes hold. And yeah. and you know, once you feel like you get sick, just stay at home, let your body recover through it, and then go back out. And like then you're resistant to 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 the strain anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, rather than continuing to try to try, you know manipulate it in some way and try to create super bugs or anything. So that's the thing is like, I don't know if this quarantine thing is particularly the best thing or is this herd immunity idea particularly the best thing? Mm-hmm. The herd immunity thing kind of sounds mean though, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it's it does. just like, <laughs> yeah, if the old people die, they, you know, yeah. they, they lived a good life, right? Uh-huh. You know, they got a, they got a 401k or some shit. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> so I know it sounds mean, but yeah. but that's the thing is like every day there's always something new that, that we have to digest. And I've been uh, like, th- when I heard about the herd immunity thing from, from Kim Iverson, I was kind of, I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. I don't think I've heard this too much before, mm-hmm. but I, I've been so focused on, you know, what they're doing with this economic stimulus and how, you know, this thing has affected the economy. Cause you right. can only focus on one or two things at a time. Yeah. And there just seems to be this overwhelming amount of news and information. Uh, and, you know, I have friends that I was texting during that first week where they were like paying attention to all of it and being dragged in 12 mm-hmm. different directions. And, and it's very overwhelming. So I, I tried to do my best in being like, let's talk about the economic stimulus. Let's talk about what the DOJ is doing. Mm-hmm. You know, all of the other periphery stuff we can get to when we get to it. But some of the information that's coming out is speculative. It's conjecture. Yeah. You know, so, but it's just this constant noise of information coming out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I... I 100% get the irony of somebody that has decided to do uh, hour plus videos every single day. <laughs> yeah. okay. I get the irony of my statement. Yep. <laughs> but even me doing that, I'm trying to like boil it down and focus on like, you know, specific topics at a time. But it's it's crazy. Well, um, and, you know, it's not, um, you know, I... I I I follow you on I think just about everything and you know I just get yeah, all these you things. That, by the way. You know, Chris 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 got something new. Chris got something new. You know, he put this <laughs> up. and, and uh, I think part of it. You know, I we're all dealing in different ways. I I did an interview um, with Garrett Elzinga, uh last night, and one of the things I told him was I just can't write. I I I can't put myself into a position to write and I don't know why because my material is not like current events or anything like that it's all you know life experience and stuff like that I just don't feel like writing I am going absolutely mad trying to get people to talk to on the podcast and and actually connecting with somebody um other than you know you know fortunately my wife and i have a great relationship we don't hate each other you know we we've been together for 37 years and uh you know nothing's broken there but i just want to reach out to other people who are um i guess weird like me you know and 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 uh talk to them and uh maybe the writing will come after that but i just you know it's 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 been uh i I, you don't realize, you have to step back and look at yourself um, and be pretty self-aware to understand how it's affecting you. Um, and, you know, that, that's one of the things I did because I was really watching too much news and I, I was going the angle of 
uh, exactly what you talked about, which was, is this quarantine the best thing to do? Because I, uh, I heard the same thing and they didn't mention, um, the herd thing, but they mentioned, they said, okay, we don't have a vaccine. We're probably not going to have a vaccine for at least months. And the only other way you get through this is to get it and build up the immunity. And so, you know, what do you do? I mean, we're flattening the curve by staying in, but it's still out there. So that means eventually it's going to hit us. And I know we want it to hit at a point where the people who get critically ill um, can actually have care. So we want to spread it out over a period of months instead of have everybody get sick within, you know, like a three week, like a period. couple of weeks. You're right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's, it's really, it's really, it's just hard to wrap your head around it. And I, you know, I, I just feel for the people, you know, the people in the medical field and everybody who has to be out there yeah. like working in grocery stores and stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. Those are, yeah. The frontline people are the ones that, that, like my mom works at Target, you know, mm-hmm. and she she's fifty six, and she she's pretty healthy. Uh, and you know, like I've seen her get sick, but then she'll bounce back in like two days. Yeah, you know, she'll be she'll be she'll be down for the count for like a day and a half, and then you know, boom, she's back up, uh, and and waking up at four o'clock again, doing all the all the things that she that she, that she does. Mm-hmm. But she, I mean, it's it's like every day, mm-hmm. you know she's like, these people are coming in and they're going crazy and they're running, you know, they're buying like 200, $300 worth of, worth of just stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, cause they're panicking and freaking out. So I'm, I guess if we had, if we had like a more reasonable understanding of how to go about a quarantine, mm-hmm. like if there was like a standard operating procedure, yeah. I'm like, here's how you deal with the quarantine so that everybody can be taken care of. Maybe don't storm the grocery stores and push the old lady to grab all of the toilet paper off the shelves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, see if the old lady would like some help. (laughs) (laughs) Like if if we kind of had that, it's, but it's just like when, when your brain goes into panic mode, Mm -hmm. it's, it's fight or flight. And sometimes it's both. Yep. Um, and I think the people that hoard toilet paper are are doing both because yeah. it's I got to fight to get that toilet paper off the shelf, and then I got to flight to get home so that I can like bubble wrap my fucking house mm-hmm. and just stay in there for four and a half weeks. Yep. You know, and it, it, but that's not the way I think you you we should have dealt with the quarantine. So it it might just be the fact that hey we need less less media scaring people about what this is yeah say hey this thing is we're not sure what this is Mm -hmm. but the best thing to do is hold up for two weeks you know be reasonable about um about what you're getting and you know we're going to keep grocery stores open wash your hands we're going to have purell stations and then you attack this on a medical front Mm -hmm. but that none of that was really said and we still don't really have like a lot of um real medical attention uh, being given to this thing. Um, so, you know, like there's no field hospitals being set up yet right. and nobody's, nobody's talking about how we're going to test everybody. Uh, so it's, it's one, it's so there, there's that uncertainty, um, that I think is causing a lot of like anxiety and panic and fear in yeah. people. And, you know, the best, the only advice that I have, which is advice that I have to remind myself is to stay present and focused on what's in front of you. Yeah you know, Mm -hmm. is, is what's in front of me now is, is, you know, doing, doing 
the videos every day um, is keeping in touch with people and and doing whatever I can to take care of my physical health, my mental health, um, and trying my best to just put pen to paper and and write or draw like I used to draw a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. So, but it's 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 easier said than done, right. you know. <laughs> and I think you know I think your videos are good because this is gonna and. A lot of people are doing this, but it's going to be a a historical document at some point where we can go back and say, hey, this is this is the shit we were in then, you know, (laughs) six years ago or whatever. And uh, if something like that happens again, we've got, you know, history to look back on. This is how we dealt with it. Yeah, uh, especially in an age where the media moves so quickly. Mm -hmm. Um and you're kind of jumping from story to story to story and you kind of forget, like you forget what happened last week where I literally had people, you know, um, like this economic stimulus that were, that, that has been the, the talk over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, like the Democrats didn't really have a plan for that. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang brought up that emergency UBI Bernie Sanders put up a point by point plan, which included $2,000 a month for American citizens. Mm -hmm. And then Trump came out and was like, we're just going to give direct cash to people. And the Democrats were blocking that. Mm -hmm. Right. So they, the Democrats came out and blocked the UBI. So then the Republicans conceded and then the Democrats were like, ah, but that's not, that's not good enough. What, what what you're saying is no longer good enough. Mm. And then people were like, see, the Democrats have been on our side. And I was like, wait a minute, but like three (laughs) days ago, but three days ago, they didn't, they weren't on our side. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? But that's Uh, so with the speed of everything, you can go back and say, see, look at this story that, that, you know, I covered or, or Ron Placone or, or Jimmy Dore, whoever it was, they covered the story, which, which documents the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, this is the thing that happened so that we're not constantly gaslit by our own history. Because I think that's the speed at which all this stuff moves. That's kind of the thing that happens mm-hmm. is you for, like you forget that, oh, last week, this person that's saying the complete opposite and not even acknowledging it, you know, and that's kind of what, that's kind of what gaslighters do is yep. they kind of, say they kind of say whatever um you know they they say they say um what uh, sorry i'm i'm like losing the word uh hypocritical statements yeah like op, op- oppositional statements mm-hmm. but make no uh acknowledgement that what they're saying is completely oppositional right. to what they said like 10 minutes ago yeah uh so you know that's why you're you're 100% right it's it's documenting um it's documenting what's going on mm-hmm. and um, and to me, the videos are also like, I, I start with just a check-in of like, Hey, this is where my mental state is at today. This yeah. is, this is what's going on physically with me today. You know, um, here's some things that I've been thinking about. Um, but you know, and then I kind of do that just, just so people are encouraged to do the same thing. Like mm. if I, if hopefully if I'm being kind of open and candid about, um, my mental and physical state that other people will also be, um, open and candid about that and Mm. understanding and compassionate towards each other. So, you know, that's, that's the hope. That's the goal. I'm I'm not sure if I'm, I'm, if I'm achieving that goal or if I'm, if that's even coming through, but um, that's the idea behind, behind all that. And it's, it's a good accountability check too, for me. Right. And really all it takes is, uh, you know, helping one person out. It doesn't, 
doesn't necessarily have to be masses. And, you know, if, if somebody else says, Hey, that's a good idea. I'm going to go with that. And I feel better than that. I guess for me, that's good enough. And yeah, yeah, me too. Um, I, I look at, I look at it the same way. If, if, if one person listens to what I'm saying and, and said, Hey, you're, you're going through this anxiety thing. Me too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's good to, it's, it's good to see somebody kind of, have a plan. It, it helped me figure out a plan for myself and vice versa. I've, I've definitely seen, you know, other people come up. I, I had a friend of mine text me yesterday about, um, doing kind of a, uh, and you know, I guess like a, a, a comedy, a, a concept for a comedy album with four comics specifically about the quarantine. And I don't want to, I don't know the full specifics of it yeah. yet, but I was like, this is a fucking great idea. Mm-hmm. And just him kind of talking about it, it, it you know, kind of got me excited to say, okay, cool. Like let's figure out what I need to do to take right. care of myself physically so I can get to a point where I'm writing, you know, um, about this experience or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, just so I can, I can be a little bit more creative, Yeah, uh, you know? Yeah. And it, it's, other uh, other people kind of taking the initiative uh, makes like gets me excited. Mm-hmm. Like, like when other people are excited, I get <laughs> <Yeah>. excited. You know, <laughs> so. I would I would love for somebody to take the initiative and bring me along with them because uh, I don't know if I've got that right now. It's so funny. You, your, your mom's 56. I turned 56 in a couple months. So, you know, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. So, so we're, uh, uh, we're, we're definitely a few generations apart. And, and I think it's, <laughs> I think it's funny, um, because, you know, I'm right at the tail end of being a baby boomer. So I'm an okay boomer. And, um, I've really, uh, my personal comedy is like super, um, PG related, like a Ray Romano type thing. Yeah. I talk about family and, yeah. and stuff like that, but I've got a whole alter ego stuff written that is just geared towards just lambasting the boomers, uh, my people. And, you know, I, I've tried to insert some of that stuff into my nicey, nicey stuff. And it doesn't work there because I'm totally switching gears and saying, Hey, um, guess what? We screwed everything up. And, uh, (laughs) but I've got it. So, you know, maybe someday I'll become, I'll become a, uh, social warrior like you and, uh, and become a totally different comic, but it's, (laughs) I I would love, I I would love to, you know, I've probably, you know, if I put it all together, I've maybe got 15 or 20 minutes of that stuff, but I could do more. I, I definitely, you know, uh, I'm, I'm watching from the inside in, uh, inside out and, and I can see everything we did wrong and everything I did wrong. So, you know, <laughs> so maybe someday, I don't know. I, yeah, man, that was a hard transition for me. Um, is, is to, cause I, I kind of d- did similar stuff is when I start, I started when I was 16. Um, and a lot of what I was doing was like talking about growing up in an immigrant family and, you know, like, Oh, look how weird, immigrant moms are Mm -hmm. um you know and then like just talking about weird awkward stuff just more personal stuff and then i i started shifting i think in my early 20s i wanted to like really talk about like ideas and social issues and philosophy and stuff on stage Mm because 
I was really like very influenced by Bill Hicks and and George Carlin at that point Mm. and Richard Pryor. And these were the people that were like, to me, the, the, the echelon of doing comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took me a really long time. I think I was like 26, 27 when I really took, um, cause I basically decided I'm going to abandon all of the old forms of comedy that I was doing mm-hmm. and just shift into this long form idea based comedy. Um, and, uh, really the person that encouraged me to do that was Stuart Huff. I don't know if you know who Stuart Huff <laughs> is. Uh, I've got notes. I, I, I made notes before we talked, uh, comparing you to, uh, oh, this is funny. Uh, I talked, I talked a lot about, uh, Stu when I talked to Garrett yesterday too. It's, it's funny. Stuart's going to be oh, like really? on every freaking podcast I do, but yeah, She's it's a legend, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, l- l- let me tell you my notes because the funny yes, thing yeah, is please. I was listening to your stuff and his stuff, like in the same sitting. And, um, so I, I, I made, I made, Made these notes. I said, Stuart Huff asked, why are we like this? And uh, Krish says, we are like this and we need to change. And that, you know, that's, that's that, cool. Yeah. That's the notes I, <laughs> the notes I took. Cause he's, he, he comes from a very broad philosophical um, perspective. Um, yeah. And you are a little bit like, Hey, this is stupid. We need to stop doing it. You know, we, we need to stop shitting on native Americans and stuff like that. So it's, it's really, it's really funny how both of you attack it. You're a little bit more in the face and Stu is a little bit more silly about it saying, you know, saying, Oh, you know, the, the arc is weird and stuff like that. And, uh, so yeah, I, I'm, it was funny. I made those notes when I was, uh, cause I, for some reason I listened to both of you at the same time and, uh, that's what I got. <laughs> well, he's, I mean, Stuart, Stuart is responsible for, for me writing the way that I am now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's all his fault. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, great. But, but that was the thing is I, I remember talking to him on the phone. Um, cause we used to talk on the phone a bunch at like two 30 in the morning and, uh, basically what he told me was, look, you can either start writing like this now, six months from now, six years from now, but this is where you're going. Mm-hmm. So you either, you can either get there or you can wait. It's up to you, regardless of what you do, you know, that that's the way that you decide to proceed in your comedy career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, but he was super encouraging and, and, and you're right. I think at first the, the way that I was writing was, <clears throat> you know, why are we like this? Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to how Stewart approaches it, yeah. because I think Stewart's mindset is is very similar to to Carlin's mindset. Yeah, um, Carlin's mindset was um, here's here's the way we behave, but why? Mm-hmm. Right, and he yeah. kind of just left it there, mm-hmm. where Stewart is trying to answer that question. Yeah, um, and for me, I am too. I'm I'm trying to find out, you know, what is the cause of this, but let's not just leave it at the question. And, and point out how silly our behavior is, but let's point out something that we can do that's, that's different than what we're doing, that's mm-hmm. better than what we're doing. And, and maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but let's give something different a shot. Right. Because what we're doing now doesn't seem to, seem to be working. Um, so I think if it wasn't for, for touring with Stuart as much as I did a couple years ago, uh, Lee Camp, that's another guy that I, uh, I was still open for on mm-hmm. the road, um, if it wasn't for these guys, like, I don't think I would be thinking the way that I am right? <clears throat> or, or encouraged to continue down that line of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because when I was in college, I actually had a professor that, that asked very similar questions um, in, mm. in terms of graphic design. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of like every creative pursuit um, has, to me anyway, the, the correlation that I drew is all creative pursuit, the core of it is critical thinking, asking the right questions, right. Um, and, and figuring out how you can find those answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's, that's funny is, is that's a really, uh, uh, that's a really great way to, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> put I, it. I, the funny thing is I was going to say, Hey, do you know who Stuart Huff is? And it, <laughs> I, 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 this is just perfect. So yeah, I, uh, you know, I love him and he really inspired me to start writing my, my, alternate ego of uh, uh, stuff too and uh yeah that's uh m- maybe someday but um he actually um i tried to get him on the panel we did for the um the covid19 thing and um he was driving at the time he, he said uh. he said yeah i'm uh he said all my stuff's canceled, but I don't know where he was. He was pretty far from home, and uh, and uh, he he said I'm just I'm driving home. I can't do it. I got to get home. <laughs> yeah, i i would I wouldn't be surprised if he was like up either way down way down south or somewhere in the Midwest. Yeah, which is you know at least a ten or twelve hour drive for him to get back to Georgia. Yeah. And he had from, been from he had been places. in Michigan um, not too long ago. He had done a, a pretty uh, lengthy stint all the way up and down Michigan just a few weeks ago too. Oh yeah, yeah. okay, yeah that that does make sense because usually that's one of the things that that uh, <laughs> Stuart and I would always talk about is that the only reason uh, that <laughs> that either of us would want to be famous is so that we wouldn't have to go into like. <laughs> the frigid cold areas in yeah. the winter <laughs> like i could come <laughs> and do minneapolis like in july and i could still sell tickets yep. that would be <laughs> <laughs> that's the dream scott that's the dream yeah yeah it's uh michigan is so funny though because they they get regular comedy going in pretty small towns and yeah. i was I, I was just astounded by that because I, I went to, uh, you know, I did a mic in Kalamazoo and I did one in Grand Rapids, uh, and, uh, I started looking and, you know, little towns like Saugatuck and stuff like that have, uh, regular things going on. And that's really cool because Indiana does not do well at that. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana is also interesting though, because I feel like, um, it's like that whole Rust Belt area is so fascinating to me. Uh, it, like over the last couple of years, I've had a a significant like rise in the amount of conservatives that come see my show. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then they'll be the ones that you know come and have you know want to stand by the bar and have a couple drinks and like really talk about some mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, uh, not like the 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 people that kind of line up exactly with what I'm saying on stage don't. But but it's interesting to see the the conservatives come in and and still laugh at it, mm-hmm. um, and then come up and say, "Well, well, I never thought about it that way." Yeah, you know, that's I've I've never heard anybody put this argument in in the context that you put it in. Right, and it's like, great, cool. Tell tell me how you have heard it. Talk to me about that. And but Indiana, like Ohio, Indiana. Michigan, Kentucky, like all of these places, I've had way more conservatives come up and, and, you know, come up and talk to me about like, Hey, we think differently. 
but we kind of believe the same things. I, you know, let's, let's talk about where we kind of, you know, where the road splits for us. And it's usually in like the execution of the plan. Mm -hmm. Um, But even then it's like, it's so minor, like these are minor technical details. So there, there is something about, about that rust belt area where, you know, once you kind of live there or once you kind of see it happen, um, you kind of realize like these political lines that we've drawn in the sand don't matter. (laughs) No. Yeah. And, and I'm, you know, I'm really happy that, you know, a lot of conservatives are getting, you know, for lack of a better term, more woke, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change their viewpoint, but they're listening to other people. Um, they're listening to people who think differently than them. And I appreciate that because I was, you know, I was like super conservative for most of my life. And, you know, I changed, uh, you know, fairly recently, um, uh, within the last, you know, six or seven years. And, uh, uh, it was a very gradual change, uh, just because, you know, I started watching and, and learning, uh, about things and I wouldn't consider myself to be a hard liberal or a hard conservative, you know, I just more common sense, but, you know, a lot of folks, you know, a lot of, you know, boomers, especially, they just get so set in their ways. And it's really cool to see when they step out of that and, and say, Hey, you know, first of all, I can laugh at myself. And, and, and second, you know, maybe these young people, uh, have, have some, uh, actually good ideas. Maybe they have a point here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even I've had some people come up and say, uh, Hey, these were ideas that I remember listening to 30 years ago or 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm, and I'm starting to starting to think that they were onto something Yeah, and it's like, great. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) Perfect. Like, I'm so glad that you said that because, because that's my point too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like (laughs) we, we've been talking about this for 40, 50 years. Let's don't, don't you think like we should make that happen now? And they're like, well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and it's very, very entertaining when that sort of stuff happens. Um, when, when, when it's, it's like, uh, it's like all the pieces start, you know, being, being put into place and you can see the whole puzzle, um, rather than just you being like, no, this corner's what I want. Mm -hmm. I think I'm just gonna, this corner's everything to me. It's like, yeah, but there's so much, (laughs) there's like three quarters of the puzzle left. Yeah. I like this corner though. It's a lot of blue in this corner. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> well, the funny, the, you know, I, I never, you know, I was born and raised in Indiana and I, you know, I had no idea, you know, how culturally deprived Indiana is until, mm. you know, I started traveling and, you know, the kids, the, the kids moved and stuff like that. And I'm like, holy cow, you know, I had, you know, I had no idea. I mean, we are just white bread, uh, uh, American potato eaten people. That's just, (laughs) 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 and it's, uh, you know, South Bend kind of, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, kind of a, um, uh, 
I guess a spot that isn't isn't quite so red, um, and it's uh, it's got a little bit more going on for it uh, for being a, a small city. But you know, um, you know when I travel when I traveled around uh, different places in the country, I'm like, holy cow! You know, there's there's a lot of different people around here and a lot of yeah. different ideas, and it's it's not really getting to us so much. Yeah. Um, there was a, I had to shelf this piece cause it just, it didn't fit into, uh, the album that's coming out soon. The show that I just wrapped up working on. Mm. Um, but I, but I was basically talking about that. That was by design is the country is so large, um, that what you're talking about, the, the fact that we don't know how similar we really are mm-hmm. or, you know, like, oh man, I can't believe that, you know, so much of this country is, is still stuck in racial divides based on how the cities are oriented and so on. It's like St. Louis has very similar problems in terms of, um, you know, neighborhood segregation as Pittsburgh does, Mm. you know, Pittsburgh has similar water problems that Flint does. So it's, but like, how do you know, right? How do you know what's going on in these little cities and these little communities um, and that's that's done by design. Like Madison advocated for this country to just be enormous so that, you know, like the working class people on a national level can't really come together um, and push back in, mm. a, in a, a fully effective way. And that, and that was Madison's like he wrote that into the Federalist Papers and kind of advocated and pushed for it. And if you if you pay attention to history, like we've we kind of nailed it. You know, yeah. like we, the, the Louisiana Purchase, Westward Expansion, the mm. constant wars with, with the natives and, and, you know, Mexico and everything. Like we co-opted so much of this land that people in San Francisco are so out of touch with people with Boise, Idaho, mm. you know, and now, now we have this battle of like, oh, it's coastal elites versus the flyover states versus the Rust Belt states. And it's like, no, we, we all kind of go through the same, same struggles. Yeah, We all kind of when you when you really boil it all down like most of us are just trying to take care of our family and our communities and each other um and again what we're arguing about is these small semantics yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh but i i decided uh to to shelve that bit um because uh it wasn't as funny as i could have probably gotten it and i felt like i didn't have time and it was also deviating away from a lot of the other stuff that I was, I was kind of talking about in the show. So, mm. but that's good because now, you know, I have a, um, I have, I have some kind of, you know, foundation to build a build, build something around right? Uh, that, that I, that I have been doing for a few months that I can go back and listen to these sets uh, and then, you know, extract what I need to extract from it mm. uh, and then perform it on stage when, you know, when, when we're allowed to see the outdoors again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that kind of segues into, you know, I'm very interested in your writing because, um, you're, you know, it's obvious that you're very socially conscious and, um, you, you, you have a lot to work with when, when, you, when you are socially conscious, you've got a lot of premises that you work on, but I've listened to a lot of your stuff and, uh, First of all, you you have a way of making it funny, um, and second off, you have a way of not 
pissing off everybody. Um, everybody is, <laughs> and I know I, 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 I can guess that you probably piss some people off and, oh. uh, and, but, <laughs> but anybody that's like, we talked about a little bit woke or whatever, you know, they, they, they get it. And, um, so how do you take these premises and these ideas and make them funny enough, um, that you get a laugh and also able to get the story across without making everybody mad at you? <laughs> uh first of all thank you for saying that that's yeah. uh that's very nice of you to say um and and i appreciate it i i think it's a for for me it's it's about presenting how how absurd the the status quo is mm-hmm. um you know we we talk uh, my, my sister points out that i'm i'm an idealist that's she she'll constantly point that out every time we have a conversation about you know uh about science or the economy or whatever it is when we start getting into these deeper subjects eventually you know we're not mad at each other we get frustrated mm-hmm. um because the departure for us is she does not believe things are going to change and i think that they should mm-hmm. and that's the that's the major departure right so because because of the I, I think I take a more idealistic view of the world that I my my core belief is that deep down inside, I would say at least 90 percent of us are genuinely good people that want to help each other. It's just a system that we've created around us um, doesn't value or uh, encourage that kind of like generosity and kindness right. like. So to me, that system that doesn't encourage that, this thing that we think is the ideal society, this thing that we think is the ideal person, that's the target of my joke. Mm -hmm. This this sort of backward system. um, And once I kind of figure that out and and lock in on one little aspect of it, then I can point out how absurd it is. And then like you pointed out, here's something different we can do. Here's how we can get to that ideal. And And it might not be a piece of legislation it might just be, you know, you see somebody that needs some change to get on the bus and you give them that change. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a huge paradigm shift to me. But that's the part that I don't think is particularly funny. Everything before that can be. Mm-hmm. Um, because everything before that is about a system, not about a person. And I, I try very, very hard not to go after specific people right um unless they're unless they're like in a extreme position of power like Mm. i don't have any trump jokes yeah um i've never really had any trump jokes i just i look at trump as a symptom of a much larger disease and i'd rather go after the disease right that's the antithetical system that we're all a part of Mm. so so like the the album i'm going to put out probably in, in the next few months is i do have a whole chunk uh about jeff bezos but that's because that guy's a, a sociopath so mm-hmm. uh and i think that's the 10 percent that that don't you know it's it's hard because i think that 10 percent of people don't value generosity ge- like genuinely don't value generosity or kindness or compassion um they they're looking for greed and profit and, mm. and so they become like these mascots of this backward system 
right? So right. making fun of Jeff Bezos is just making fun of a mascot of this larger system, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's like, I, there are exceptions to my rule of where I don't make fun of people, but I'm like, I have a story in um, on empathy on sale um, about uncle Marv, who's my ex-wife's uncle. And I don't hate the guy, but by, by no means do we, do we have the same values? Probably not. We, we don't have the same beliefs. We, we, we're not going to vote for the same person, mm-hmm. but deep down inside, I think he's a good person and he's trying to understand. So that whole story is about him trying to understand, you know, something that he doesn't mm-hmm. and, and doing it in his own way. And because he's doing it in his own way, that's where the humor is mm-hmm. because it's because it doesn't correlate with the way that you and I would try to understand. Right. Right. right? It's this yeah. over the top way of, of coming out and being like, ah, I'll tell him the super racist joke. Yeah. And, and, and then we'll be on the same, he'll get it. Yeah. And you know, so, uh-huh. but, but it's that you can't deny that he tried, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, and he's going to learn, he's going to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole point of that story. Right. Uh, but I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of uncle Marv. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to, to make him the punchline of the joke, but rather the, the, I don't I, like this. Like, I don't, I don't really, ha- I don't think there is a victim to that joke. In my opinion, I think, I think where the humor comes in is, is it's like the comedy of errors kind of thing. Yeah. And it's, it's a, I think it's more of a, a state of mind than, than a person, you know, it's, yeah, and it's, it's, it's the way it, it's people just glomming on to the parts of their culture that they feel most comfortable with. I think sometimes. Yeah, I, I a hundred percent agree. And, you know, the easiest thing for, for him to grab onto was, was the stereotype he knows mm-hmm. and what are stereotypes, if not hyperbolization of an entire, you know, ethnicity or race or something. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's not. So, you know, at the end of that story, when he clearly said something super anti-immigrant to me, an immigrant that's, <laughs> you know, been in this country legally for a long time, um, him realizing his mistake and wanting to, to, to rectify it, you know, kind of offer me an olive branch that it's a comedy of errors because that olive branch might not look like an olive branch to me. Yeah. And, but, but what I recognized in that moment was, but boy, he, he really tried though. Mm -hmm. And if I don't accept what, whatever that olive branch, it might just be one olive. It might not even be a branch. It might just be one pickled olive. Mm. Right. If I don't take that, well, he doesn't learn anything. Right. And we're moving forward. And yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to understand him and he stops trying to understand me. And, you know, this is for, for all intents and purposes, that was part of my family. And I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, Oh, you think different. You're, you're, you're my uncle and you think differently than me while I shun you forever. Mm-hmm. You know? So I saw no value or purpose in that. So even then it's, I think that's the mentality that I'm, that's the, that might even be the target of the joke. Yeah. You know, to me, to me, the way I wrote that story and, and kind of took these deviations, um, you know, to kind of make certain points throughout the, throughout the bit, really it's a comedy of errors because it's, it's a group of people that don't understand what I think everyone expects them to understand as Mm -hmm. American citizens. So, so there's that aspect of it. 
Uh, there's the aspect of Uncle Marv offering this olive branch in a very strange way. But more than that, I think the the target of the joke is why would you not want to be friends with your family? Yeah, you, you know, in some way, shape, or form, why mm-hmm. would you deny that because of because of a vote or because of of well, they have a different belief about religion than you do or whatever? Mm-hmm. Why would you not want to try to learn more about that? Because these are people that are important to you that that help raise you. Um, so, so that backwards mentality kind of becomes the, the target of that joke yeah. <clears throat> per se. Yeah. You, you are so full of empathy, man. <laughs> empathy for sales. A good, uh, is a good name for, for that record. I listened to that bit by the way. And it's, oh, you know, it's funny. It's so hard to carry around that empathy sometimes because you're like, I am so mad at you. Are you okay? <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's, you're 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 mad and you're worried at the same time and it's uh you know that's the type of stuff that makes ulcers you know it's oh man um i i won't deny that it's not frustrating um because like i was you know i was talking to to my sister the other day and i was just kind of like just we were both bitching about a bunch of stuff uh because that's like we'll talk for like three hours Mm -hmm. and like the first hour is just both of us just endlessly bitching to each other yeah um but we were talking about about staying with my parents and like going dealing dealing with them as adults in a in a closed confined space Mm -hmm. uh and you know as i was bitching about i was like well you know she's having a rough time too you know this is like really hard for her too Mm -hmm. like I understand like she had high hopes for this marriage too. Like mm-hmm. I get it, you know, like, so, but it's, but it's super frustrating because it's, it's at a certain point, like you are still like, I can't believe this person. Like I just needed a little bit of little, I needed somebody to listen to me and to what I was saying. Yeah. And this person just made it all about themselves. And it's like, Oh, well maybe I did, you know, maybe they didn't go through it. And so it's totally exhausting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Cause you keep cycling <laughs> back and forth. And by the and then like you know, twenty minutes later, you're just like, I gotta, I gotta shut myself in a room for a like just get away from humans for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all I think most empaths, I would say most empaths uh, are probably introverts. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I I would agree with that. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is uh, comics as a rule um, carry a lot of empathy. Um, and they're almost all introverts and it's, it's funny. You, um, most of the ones I have dealt with or worked with on a regular basis, we like to talk about, um, either our, our, our sets, our bits, or, um, really kind of complex ideas and stuff like that. We hate small talk. You know, we, we don't, (laughs) We don't like to talk about the weather and stuff like that. You know, we, we just want to get right into a good conversation. And if we can't do that, we just want to sit at the table by ourselves and write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny is, is like, I don't, I don't get a chance to go to, go to open mics as much. Um, you know, it's even before all of this craziness, like mm-hmm. I would, what, what I started doing and what I, and this was the aspect of open mics that I really missed was going and sitting down and hanging out and bullshitting at a table mm-hmm. and, you know, like riffing or, or just like you were saying, like talking about comedy and talking about these complex ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, you know, if, if I stepped outside for a minute 
And whoever I was standing around in a circle with, if somebody even was just like, it's a pretty good day. I'm just like, ah, God damn it. We're not going to be friends. Yep. This, isn't, <laughs> yeah. this, is, like, this just isn't going to work. We're not going to go anywhere. It's like, yeah, it's a nice day, man. Mm. I got to go back inside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but the person that's like, uh, it's like, Hey, who do you think came up with the idea of a street lamp? Yeah. It's like, Oh, now we're on to something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's figure this out. Yeah. Who do you think it was? Do you think it was Joe Joe Street Lamps? <laughs> See, <laughs> like, that's we, got some teeth to it. You can yeah. You, there's that. Yeah, you now can we do can, that. Yeah, and now we can riff on something. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it actually it actually gets your brain working instead of talking about the day or you know, <laughs> traffic or whatever. You know, yeah, that stuff just drives me crazy. Yeah, uh, I just never, I never got like I. Every time somebody would talk to me about the weather, I would just be like, I, you could have, this could have been about anything. Yeah. You could have been like, I watched a great documentary about gorillas. Check mm. this shit out. And yeah. it would be like, yeah, I'm in. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and you, you have to find something common because we all tend to be, um, outliers too. And in, in that we, we don't go with the flow. We, we're not into everything that everybody else is into at any particular right. time. And we're not into everything that each <clears throat> other's into. Uh, you know, it's funny because most of the, most of the people that I, um, I'm with, I mean, they're into star Wars, dungeons and dragons and comic books all the nerdy stuff. All three of those things, they don't mean a damn thing to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I saw the first Star Wars movie in the theater when I was I was 13 or 14. And I was like, this sucks. And I never watched another one. And, so, and I, I, I've done bits about that. And let me tell you, the crowd turns on me so bad. <laughs> but there are things we have in common, like trying to write a freaking joke, you know, and, right, and, exactly. and, and try, trying to get a, a actual punchline and a good tag. So, you know, those are the things <laughs> we can talk about. <laughs> yeah, man. I, so I, that's actually one of the ways that, that I, I try to, to, to make things relatable in these big ideas too, is like pop culture references. Um, but, but that's also part of my personality is mm. because I'm, I'm, I am a particularly nerdy person. Mm -hmm. um, uh, hence the, the shirt yeah. that I'm friends with Zach Funk. Like mm -hmm. that's one of the first things that me and Zach connected on uh, was, was just how nerdy both of us are. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think having those pop culture references helps take those like big weird ideas that maybe people don't think about every day and then ground them, mm -hmm. just connect them to something, you know, on this, on this plane, like, the way that I think I, I described it to somebody was um, some of these ideas are, they kind of live in the stratosphere. Mm -hmm. um, so they're not easily accessible by everybody. Uh, so what, what is the, the, like you have to, you have to build a rope to kind of throw and grab the idea, but it's still going to stay in the stratosphere. So what are you going to tie that rope down to? Yeah. Um, and, and that rope might be Batman or, whatever you yeah. know like or you know like peacoats or something it doesn't matter what it is but it's just once you tie it to something grounded then you can pull the idea down yeah. and people can kind of see it for what it is right. and understand it a little bit more mm -hmm. um but but that's the thing is what's what's so interesting to me about that is being an immigrant 
like and learning about pop culture in the United States. Um, one comedy helped me do that. Mm. So that's probably why I'm connected to making pop culture references in my act. Um, but the other thing is, I think it's so interesting because I've had to immerse myself in some kind of pop culture or I've always had an interest in some kind of pop art, pop culture type mm. uh, thing. And it's just like, you have no interest in it. It's yeah. so interesting to me. Yeah. I, I, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Where I'm like, how do you not have an emotional attachment to Luke Skywalker and yeah. his dad? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, sorry. You know, I, I was reading Sherlock Holmes uh, stories when all that stuff was going on. I just, I, none, <laughs> none of that stuff worked for me. I mean, I was, there were nerds and I was like, I was like way over that nerd line. You know, I was, I, I was so bookish and, uh, just totally in, in, into everything horror movies. You know, I love horror movies, you know, that's, Oh yeah. yeah so it depends. You know, it depends. Yeah, yeah. I, um, uh, I'm a friend of mine who's, who's, who does a movie podcast and super funny cat his name's Vincent Tidiano. He uh, uh, he does a movie po- review podcast, so we were talking about it because all the movies are are, are getting delayed now. Mm. Um, so he he was talking to me about a quiet place, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm not huge on on horror movies. I like the I like the more campier, goofier mm. horror movies, the Sam Raimi yeah. horror movies, mm. stuff like that." Um, you know, I think the last real scary movie I saw uh, was a film called Life. Mm. Um, have you seen that movie? No. Mm-mm. Oh, dude, it's it's crazy. It's it's a it's a uh, a sci-fi horror movie, mm. uh, which I think is part of the reason why I I gripped onto it as as hard as I did. Like Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, Ryan Reynolds is in it. Like it's a great cast. Mm. Um, but I was like, yeah, it's just it's like that's the last movie that's like genuinely terrified me as an adult. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, no, you should watch The Quiet Place then. Yeah, because it's 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 super it's super creepy, and uh, I guess they made Quiet Place two that was supposed to come out recently. Yeah. Um, so he was like, "I'm gonna watch that," and I was like, "Ah oh, man, ah, I would have loved to just sit down and have yeah. a beer and fucking watch this scary movie with you." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Quiet Place. Uh, I I was surprised because I didn't I I didn't have high hopes going into it, but it was it was really good. It was very understated. You know, it wasn't it wasn't That's one of those things where. It was, big monsters and stuff like that all the time it was it was more about the feelings and the the family unit and stuff like that so it was pretty cool yeah that's the that's the real kind of that's the to me that's the way that you really evoke fear is in most of these horror movies like i don't want to i don't want to see the monster yeah yeah you know like just evoke that sense of fear and then let my brain fill in the blanks yeah because yeah. that's the exciting part. And I think that's why we go we go to to watch horror movies is is because they kind of like engages our brain in this very sp- yeah. interesting way. Yeah. You know, same thing with comedy. It, I think I think it engages our brain in in a different critical critical thinking aspect. Cause every time I watch these these like even when I was watching Life, which it's on like a space station above earth and stuff it's mm. like i'm not a fucking astronaut but like what if i was mm. how would i deal with this situation you know <laughs> what would i do in ryan reynolds part yeah um, would i like would i have what would i you know have the courage to do what they did and, and it kind of makes you answer all these questions and all of that like comes out of fear mm. maybe that's the positive side of 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 fear 
yeah. is once you invoke fear, you kind of learn how to um, how to fight back against it. Mm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why people like being scared. <laughs> Now I don't want to. I don't want to forget to talk about this because uh, you. I, I already made the uh, the analogy of between you and Stuart, uh, but um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of different types of comedian out there, and you are definitely not like a um, bam, 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 laughs per minute type guy. You you you, you don't do setup punch, setup punch. Right. Maybe you started that way. Um, how do you? Um, how do you feel like you've got a set that is put together that um, says everything you want to say and still has enough laughs for you to still be considered uh, comedy? You know, uh, <laughs> it, because no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah because um, you're you're different. You know, you're you're not you're not one of the even even Stewart. I think I I think has uh, more more. Um, tags um in in his stuff um than even you do you you do a he lot does. of setup and more storytelling so tell me how how do you do that in your writing process and how do you know you've got something uh, i never know i have something till i get on stage and um uh, and say it mm-hmm. and and listen to what the audience is is reacting to mm-hmm. uh because something that when so my, I mean, the writing process to that has changed because I was, like you mentioned, I was set up punch for a while. I would do minute and a half to two minute jokes that that had like two or three big pops mm-hmm. in them, um, which I did, which I do think helps um, because when I get stuck in a story, and it's like, oh man, there's there's like three and a half minutes where I'm just telling what happened, and there's no jokes in it, nothing even small, mm-hmm. um, no tags or anything in it. I kind of have to go back to go back to the basics of well, what if I did a setup punch kind of thought process here? Okay, now I can put in two or three extra jokes in mm-hmm. there. Sure, it makes the bit a little bit longer, but I think it keeps people engaged. Um, uh, for for a little while longer, mm-hmm. so that's one of the ways that I've kind of been been able to like hit those spots where it's very serious for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've also, <laughs> I think I've also started to veer uh, into doing darker jokes mm-hmm. um, because some of the subject matter is is darker, um, and instead of trying to instead of trying to lean away from that. And trying to take this dark subject matter and make it, you know, goofier or lighter is if I lean into just making it darker or or kind of amplifying how dark it is, mm-hmm. um, the the hyperbole is there. The the silliness comes along with mm-hmm. it. Because I think once you kind of do that and people just go, Oh, Jesus Christ, oh mm-hmm. man, like you 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 break the tension yeah. by taking it by by amplifying the tension kind mm. of thing, yeah right like a fight right. fire with fire kind of a thing yeah um so i've started to do that a little bit more um but when i write the way that i've started writing now because everything is so long form um nothing is pen to paper until i've done it on stage a few times mm-hmm. <clears throat> i come up with the ideas um like that uncle marv story uh, I was literally talking to my friend with my ex-wife uh, in a parking lot in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were leaving to go do a gig in Augusta. And I was telling him the story 
and he goes, man, this is like, you have to talk about this on stage because uh-huh. this is so ridiculous. It's mm. so funny. Um, and so, so I just went up and I told the story. Mm. Uh, so a lot of those, you know, side, uh, little side notes that I would take, um, trying to explain what a green card was and trying to go down, you know, the, the citizenship process with my mom. Uh, none of that stuff was in there. I didn't really, that stuff came about later. Cause I, cause I did it once or twice. And then I would listen back to the story and I would go, something's missing. Oh, I brought up my mom's citizenship. Mm. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that process was like. So then I can take a side deviation and, now I'm talking about the military industrial complex in the context of this, this oath ceremony. Right. Mm. <clears throat> so once I do it a few times, I listen back to it and then I basically transcribe what I wrote. And then from what I transcribe, I can, I can sit there and say, well, this, this didn't really get a laugh. I can probably expand on this a little bit more because it's not very clear as to what I'm talking about. Um, and then I'll edit it and then go back and redo it on stage a few more times mm. and then figure out again, it's like listening to the audience and people will come up to me after shows and say, Hey, you know, that story you told, um, what is, you know, maybe mention what your uncle does, you know, like where wh- maybe mention, you know, like change your voice up a little bit. Cause I was very confused about who was talking. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. That's a good note to, to add on. So, I really have to pay attention to what the audience is saying and what the audience, how the audience is reacting. Um, because if it's not going to be funny, I at least want it to be engaging. Mm-hmm. So that if there is a two, three minute point in the story or, or in this long you know, bit that I'm breaking down a particular idea, if there's two, three minutes in the middle where there isn't a lot of jokes and it is exposition and setup, um, I don't want it to be boring. Mm-hmm. I want, I want you to at least be engaged in it. Right. So if somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, you talked about this thing, man, you lost me on that. I, I really didn't think that was important. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. And let me see if I can either make that interesting or if I just cut it, period, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out. So I try to do as much of listening to the audience as I possibly can. Um, so, you know, and part of that is like when I'm on stage, I'm in like it, it's so weird. And I feel like comedians understand this a lot more than like regular people do. Like when I, when I say this to regular people, they're like, okay, so you're kind of like crazy. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> uh, is my brain works on these different levels when I'm on stage mm. because it's, I'm staying present with what's going on with what this material is. And then I got to focus on what's coming up next, mm-hmm. but yeah. I got to also focus on what they're reacting to and take notes yeah. on that. So if I need to change it, I can change it. And then if, if they react strangely and I deviate, I can add that layer, but know how to come back to the second layer. Mm-hmm. So I know where I'm headed to and work my way out of it. So it's this multi-layer way that my brain, pro- like, it, you know, it's like this quad core processor yeah. system in, in your, in your head. Um, and and like when I've talked to comics, they're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, that's pretty much what. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually I explain it as uh, juggling chainsaws uh, be, <laughs> because you're you got all this stuff going at the same time. And if you drop one of them, uh, you're going to lose your foot and uh, the audience is going to 
uh, turn on you at the same time. So, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. what, what I'm hearing from you, um, uh, so one of the things that kind of blows me away, you, you have to have an enormous amount of confidence to go out on stage and do a bit before you've even written it down. I mean, oh, I have, I have no confidence at all. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, I, um, it's very risky. I think I, you're, 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 you're right. You do need to be confident in, I, I think I'm confident that I know what the ideas are that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, if I trust myself and I trust the audience to come along with me for the ride, mm-hmm. uh, I will find something or, yeah. we, or, or really we will find something together. Um, that'll, that'll work and mm-hmm. that'll make sense more than, you know, if, if I wrote it down, cause I used to do that. I used to have to have everything written down word for word, but you know, I, I grew out of that because one, I was writing, you know, much longer bits. Um, so trying to rehearse that it didn't, it didn't sound natural mm-hmm. when I would get on stage to do it. Yeah. Um, and two, if something ever went wrong and somebody said something or the audience reacted differently to a bit, I, I mean, it threw me off. That's a lot. It's That's much not, harder to pivot when when you've got you've got a very structured set that, that yeah. you, you have to stick to. Yeah. So I kind of I kind of learned, you know, when I was like twenty three or something, that okay, I I need to figure out how to be a little bit more flexible um, and stay true to myself mm-hmm. rather than be locked in because if, if anything deviates, like a friend of mine was like, man, what the fuck happened? You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, this guy, he said something and it, and it, and it's not, it threw, I didn't know how to get back into the fucking thing. And, yeah. and, you know, then I'm flustered on stage. Um, and you know, so a friend of mine and I had this conversation, he was just like, yeah, you got to learn how to, how to deal with hecklers, man. Yeah. You got, or, or you got to learn how to ignore them Yeah, and like power over them. Um, so I, I learned that if I come to the stage with an idea and I talk about it, I like, and pay attention to the audience, like mutually, we will figure out how to mm. make this work. Yeah. Uh, but I am a very insecure human being. Oh. <laughs> like, Maybe you're more secure than you think. The, you know, the other thing is you, you don't let your, let your ego rule over your material. You know, when you get feedback like that, you do decide, you know, the, the hardest thing to do is to kill a joke that you love. Um, and, and, you know, if it's not funny, it's not funny. I mean, if it just, if if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And if you can't at least engage, engage the people with it. And, you know, I've got a few of them that, you know, I just was in love with, but, you know, fortunately I started really late and I've been in business for a long time. So I know if you keep doing stuff that doesn't work, then you go, you go bankrupt and you go broke really quick. So, so, (laughs) so, so, you know, I, I, I've always done like the, the three, the, the three set rule where if it doesn't work within three sets and with the changes up, then I put it back in the, in the vault and then I might come back to it later and rewrite it and do something different with it. But, you know, jokes are never dead to me, but sometimes you got to take them out for a while. Yeah. Um, I was very stubborn about that when I was, uh, a lot younger, Mm-hmm. I think in my early 20s, I was very stubborn about it. I had a bunch of material um, 
about a relationship that I was in that was like super specific mm-hmm. to the relationship. Um, and it was very funny to me and my girlfriend at the time uh, because it was super specific to our relationship, but mm-hmm. nobody else thought it was funny. Yeah. Nobody else thought it was funny. I mean, this was like six or seven minutes of comedy that I wrote mm-hmm. that people were just like, okay, that's cute, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and I went and I kept trying it and I would keep changing it. And, you know, again, a friend of mine pulled me aside, was just like, dude, what are you, what's happening? Yeah. Like, you can't, all this sounds like, you know, the, the first timer that does a bunch of inside jokes for their friends. And mm. I was like, oh, but it's cute and funny, right? And mm. they're like, sure, but I get it. You're in love. Yeah. Nobody else gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that was a hard thing is because it it was so personally connected to me and this relationship. Like it was really hard to just be like, okay, I got to let this go. Mm -hmm. Like these are just not going to work in a, in a more general context Mm -hmm. where I'm in front of strangers trying to talk about these super specific things that happened in this relationship. Um, And it's also probably not suited to my personality uh, I'm not doing a great job of delivering this material. You know, it was the same thing with one-liners. I I tried to do that for a while, um, not a long, like two weeks. I tried to yeah. do like a, a bunch of one-liners that just bombed all the time. Mm. Um, I think I think it might just be that I'm semi comfortable with failure. Mm. <laughs> like if I go on stage with something new and I'm like, well, let's see what let's see what this idea. brings out in people and it just fucking bombs Uh i'm like all right cool (laughs) maybe i'm not ready to talk about this yet (laughs) (laughs) that's great and and that's funny because uh, you know a lot of comics are like that they're like you know what i love doing this so much that you know even even a shitty night on stage is still better than not going on stage and you know yeah and you learn from it and and do and change and grow hopefully you know some folks don't you know i've, I've seen some comics that absolutely don't and, but uh you know it's uh it's definitely nobody understands it unless you do it that's for sure yeah i've um i've always had uh more fun uh learning from from failure than like that's when i want to be done with a show yeah is is when i can when i can predict exactly where the laughs comes from mm-hmm that's when I'm like, okay, we're, we're approaching that point where this is becoming too predictable mm-hmm. and it's not fun anymore Yeah, because, because the whole process to me is fun. And like with empathy on sale, I, I tweaked that show till the very last day of the recording. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whatever's on, whatever's online is, is some of the last shows that I, that I did for the recording, obviously. And, you know, I was still adding lines and changing some of the structure of the jokes to to make them, you know, sound better. Uh, you know, editing some of the some of them down mm. and taking one or two little little pieces out of them and stuff. Like I was doing that till the very last minute. Um, and once I did it, I was like, "Oh, cool!" I was virtually able to predict where all the laughs were going to be. Uh. You know, and so now, uh, now I feel at peace with this show. Now mm. I feel like I've I've given this show like a, a nice little send off. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what I want. I want to do with every show is I don't, I don't ever want to get fully comfortable 
with a show where I can get on stage and go, and here's the laughs, here's a groan, this will be an applause break. <clears throat> you know, I want, I want to be surprised as much as the audience is. Right. Because that's the, that's the excitement of a live show. Yeah. And that, and, and knowing all that stuff or thinking, you know, that that's a method of disengagement, you know, that's, that's like, you know, you're totally into your set and you, you, you're, you're, you're working basically a rhythm, like, you know, more, more like a, a musical artist than a, the, than a comic and comedy and music, they have their some similarities, but they're very different in the fact that it's a lot more interactive with a, with a comic or some yeah. comics. No, um, some comics are just going to barrel through that. They're going to, they're, they're going to know where their punches are. They're going to know where the groans, like you said, are and the, and the laughs, and they're just going to go right through it and be done. And, um, some of them succeed at that and absolutely yeah and and i'm not putting those comics down by mm. any means um i'm not saying like that's the wrong form of comedy mm. to do or anything it's just that's never worked for me yeah um that's not what excites me about comedy right. that's not what excites me about being a performer mm. uh, the the uncertainty of certain things like there were still points in the show um which you know all my recording dates got got canned uh so i basically took a couple of shows that went really, really well. Um, and I'm kind of putting together an album through that. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> even then it's interesting listening back to these shows. There are certain bits where there are different points where people, where you get this huge burst of laughter versus people going, Oh my goodness, that's, I didn't even, that's crazy that yeah. I never put that together, mm -hmm. you know? So some of the reactions were a little bit different. <clears throat> which means that I reacted a little bit different. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, but that's, that's just me having fun with the show. Uh, and there was a, there's a lot of baggage attached to, to, to the show, which is part of the reason why I'm like, I'm ready to just put it out there and work on something new. Yeah. Um, get a, get a fresh perspective and a fresh start it, with this thing. So um, that's something I am looking forward to. I am looking forward to getting back on stage and, and working on a brand new show, working on new material. Um, and like I said, it, some of it comes from, from that bank, um, of older material that, that when I did them, they were, they were fine jokes. They were fine ideas, but they weren't as funny as they could be. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I was in the right headspace to find where that humor was in some of them. They just came off a little bit, angry and yeah. ranty <clears throat> so now that i've kind of had more time to think and let it run in the background of my head <clears throat> i think i can come at it with a with a fresh approach mm. um and and kind of pulling that in to create this this new show i'm i'm more excited about that because i don't know where the laughs are going to be mm. you know right. so I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and start paying attention to, to the crowd and engaging with them right um so to, because as much as comedy is an interactive monologue, right? I think, I think any sort of an audience reaction is them engaging with the show. Yeah. So to me, really, comedy is a far more collaborative process than what people think it is. Mm -hmm. Because without the audience, like it is an active art form. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are, are, are doing these online open mics and these online um, comedy shows and everything. And that's amazing. And that's great. And we should try to learn how to use this technology uh, to, to benefit us. But there is something about a live show, yeah. something about the active participation of the audience 
in comedy that I think really makes this art form um, unique in its in its own sense. Mm-hmm. So and and it, and it is collaborative. Like songwriters, don't, I don't you know, singer songwriters and bands can't be like, all right, we got a verse <laughs> and half a chorus. <laughs> Through your reactions, we're gonna make the rest of yeah. it up. <laughs> like, everybody would be like, "Just play Freebird." Yeah, we're trying to get drunk. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you musicians do play off the energy of, of an audience, but it's it's totally different. Other than that, I mean, that's that's really yeah. what, what the where the similarities end. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you. Um, I, I see a lot of this, um, there, there I, I see a lot of two types of, uh, comics and I'm not, I, I don't feel like I'm in a place where I can, uh, give advice or anything like that, but I see comics that, um, they're, they're super dirty. Um, it's, it's all sex. And I yeah. see comics <laughs> that are starting out to have a particular point of view like you do. And, um, uh, I see both of them. Uh, in both of those cases, not do very well um, because they don't know how to do it yet. Um, and I've always, I, 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 I listen to a lot of the old, the old school people like Dreesen and stuff like that out there. And you know, when you start out in comedy, you just the first thing you need to do is find out how to be funny. Um, so, do you if? Knowing what you know now and how how you work now, do you think you could make that work when you first started out? Oh, absolutely not. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no way. Um, if if I tried to talk about let let's say the prison industrial complex when I was sixteen or seventeen, mm-hmm. it would be it would be a nightmare. Yeah. <clears throat> because at that age, I don't think I fully had an understanding of who I was and what I believed in. Mm-hmm. Um, so every like, there are still clips of me when I'm from from when I'm sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, on YouTube, by the way. Yeah, there, that's still up there. And a lot of people are like, why don't you scrub that shit? Why don't you get rid of it? <laughs> uh, and I was like, one, I'm not. I don't care. Uh, and two, it's a it's a time capsule mm-hmm. to, to to see this is who I was at this age. And then now at 31, here's, here's who I am at 31. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's a time capsule to see that, but there's no way I had a full understanding of, of what the prison industrial complex was, how I really felt about the criminal justice system, because so much of my comedy comes from what I believe in mm. having you know, a fragment of a belief system because I mean, 16 to 16 to 21 was me trying to figure all that stuff out. Right. You know, when I was like 18 was when I first wrote my first joke about religion. Um, and even that it was sort of this strange, incomplete joke about religion because I didn't have a deeper understanding of what it, what it meant to be religious Mm -hmm. or what it really meant to be an atheist. Um, you know, like, I think at 18, I was just angry. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it was just like, I'm just going to be angry at God forever. Mm-hmm. That's what this material is. Yeah. You know, and, but I didn't, I didn't fully know how to present some of this stuff. Um, like one of the most successful bits that I had from, from my college days um, was a bit, it's like a two or three minute bit where I talked about going to mass 
mm. as a non-Catholic, as a non, you know, Catholic. Yeah, I think it was Catholic. Um, and what that experience was like mm. as like witnessing that as an outsider. Yeah. And the reason why it was successful is because that's what I presented it as. Mm. I presented it as I'm coming to you from an atheist, you know, former Hindu attending a Catholic service, having no idea what the fuck is going to happen. Yeah. And that was, that, that was one of the more successful bits because it wasn't me trying to talk about an idea that I didn't fully understand Mm -hmm. or a belief system that I hadn't fully formed and, and really had experience with or, or, or thinking about. So Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's, and that's really part of it is if somebody wants to go out there and do this type of comedy, um, a lot of that is going to be predicated on, do you understand where you are as a person and are you communicating that effectively? Yeah. You know, because, because that's, that's where the perspective is going to come from and that's how you're going to get people on your side. Yeah. I think it's a longer road. Um, it's, but I, I still believe you have to understand the mechanics of, of a joke and, of oh, a bit, yeah. and you need, you need to practice doing that so that you're comfortable on stage and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you know, seeing people like you and Stu and, 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 uh, like Bill Hicks and watch Carlin, the way, the way he progressed through the yeah. years. I mean, he was like, uh. Uh, you know, a short-haired uh, radio DJ that started doing, you know, one-liner yep. comedy, and then he's hippy-dippy weatherman, and then he's super socially uh, aware and talking about the world. You know, nobody, everybody remembers old Carlin. Um, very few people remember uh, the the young Carlin, and you know, it was totally different. And it's it's so funny you brought that up because um, I did I did this. A couple different times once by myself uh i was i think i was driving from chicago back to pittsburgh which is like a seven and a half eight hour drive uh-huh. um and you know I, I got through one or two podcasts and i was like you know i have all these carlin albums let me go back and listen to them so i started with something in the 60s went to the 70s the 80s the 90s um and eventually like got to the to um what was it uh life is worth losing that's that's like my favorite special mm-hmm. it's the one where he spends a a good chunk of the beginning of the show talking about the different ways human beings kill themselves. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's like 46 minutes or something like that. Yeah. But what was interesting to me is he has a bit that he does in the sixties or seventies about how he would improve sports to make it more interesting. Yeah. And the mechanics that he uses, the the way that he talks about the sports themselves and then how he would improve them, he takes the mechanics and the frameworks of that. Mm-hmm. And then in like 2001, he has a bit about capital punishment. Mm-hmm. And it's the same mechanics, yep. right? So mm-hmm. even someone like Carlin was going back and saying, well, I want to talk about putting bankers in a guillotine. Yeah. <clears throat> but that's not particularly hilarious. Yeah. But if I talk about it in the same context of, you know, speeding up golf to three, you know, three times higher or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) maybe if I applied that same mechanics to the bankers and the guillotine bit, it would make it funny because now I'm hyperbolizing, you know, this, this capital punishment idea. So you have to learn how to write those jokes. Mm -hmm. 
you yeah. have to learn the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to learn setup punch and then maybe figure out storytelling and, and seeing how setup punch applies in a long narrative format right. until you can get to, it is, it is absolutely a harder road. Mm-hmm. And if you don't go through the right process of, of doing that, you can very easily just become, you know, this ranty comic that doesn't know what the hell they're saying and doesn't have a point. And everybody's like, wait, what? Weren't you just, weren't you talking about something about a, a stimulus and now you're yelling about birds? What the yeah. fuck happened? Where did we, <laughs> you know, like you have to learn how to organize those thoughts. And if you don't know how to do the basics, you're not going to get to that point. Mm, yeah. Because Carlin has, I mean, it's very meticulously organized. Oh, yeah. And I, if you don't have that, it's none of it makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> it, I don't think anybody, unless you've tried to do comedy or have done comedy, understands the enormity of his talent to, right. to, to <laughs> put, to, to put that stuff together. And he comes out there and makes it look effortless. And it's just, it, it it's, it's amazing what he did. Yeah. And, and the other thing that people also have to realize is that's somebody that's had what, 30, 40 years in the business. Yeah. You know, that's mm. a long, it's a long time. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of experiences to draw from. Yeah. Um, so when I watch somebody that's been doing comedy for six months or a year, three years, and they want to go up and, you know, kind of try to be Carlin or try to be Bill Hicks. Yeah. I'm like, come on, guy. like you're, you're like 22 years away from really nailing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, I, I mean, I kind of feel that way sometimes. And, and that's the realization of like, I'm not ready to talk about the subject matter because I haven't processed my, my beliefs or my emotions towards mm. it. And, that's uh, you can kind of see that in Carlin. You can yeah. kind of you can kind of see that in Hicks. Is they have learned how to channel their frustration and anger into coherent, logical thoughts, right. um, where the emotion is the underlying factor behind it. Mm-hmm. When you're 22 and you want to talk about the war in Iraq, like you're just going to go on stage and yell about it, yeah, right, yeah. and with with very few jokes because you don't know the mechanics of writing a joke and then especially writing a joke about a very sensitive topic Mm. where where other people's emotions are also going to be involved you know so i my biggest advice to to people that want to do like any sort of socially conscious comedy is take your time Mm. you 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 probably have a very long career ahead of you um figure out who you are and figure out how to take that person and put them on stage and you know who I am on stage is, is who I am in real life. Yeah. So figure out how to do that. Right. And just be deliberately funny about it. Right. Um, that's the challenge. Yeah. It's really, it's stupid and cliche, but it's really living in the moment. You know, what, what can you make funny now? Don't think about what you want to be in five years or 10 years or whatever. Think about what you can make funny now and, and just, remember that you know where you want to be, but it's going to take some steps to get there. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, there are subjects that I have come back to. Um, and I, and I would always, I would write it and go, wait, didn't I talk about this before? And then I would go back and be like, Oh yeah, I talked about this three years ago mm-hmm. or four years ago. The core belief hasn't changed, but you know, 
I built on where, where that core belief comes from. Mm. And that's what the bit is about now. So, you know, even if you go back and listen to some stuff that I was doing about religion in 2016 and listen to the stuff I'm doing about religion in, in 2020, there's probably going to be some similarities in the idea, but you are going to see an evolution and a growth of the idea. Mm -hmm. You're going to see it coming from a different perspective because I don't think I was as, I, I don't think I'm as angry um, or resentful of, uh, you know, specifically religion at age 31 that I was at age 26. Right. You know, so I kind of have a different perspective because that's five years worth of experiences talking to people, um, meeting with, you know, very religious people, finding out that my friends are very religious mm -hmm. and, and being like, what, how did you've listened to my comedy for 10 years? What the yeah. fuck? You know, like, <laughs> so, and figuring out what, what it is about what I'm saying they connect with. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're going to have a vast amount of experiences and touching on those similar ideas is not a bad, bad thing. And, and like you said, live in the moment. You yeah. know, the, your, your moment now might not be the same moment that it was three years ago. Right. So that's okay that you're talking about the same topics. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, you know, like one of the issues that I haven't talked about on stage as much in quite some time, um, is, is the issue of guns. Mm. Uh, and, and I, I was talking about it with a, with a buddy of mine and he was like, how come you haven't written anything new? And I was like, cause I don't think I have anything new to say. Yeah. Like whatever this nine minute bit about guns and really the, what it boils down to is why are we killing each other? Mm. Right. Like what, how do we change the scope of society so we don't have to feel like we have to murder each other all the time. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the angle of the bit. Um, I have nothing new to add to that. Yeah. Like my belief has not changed beyond it. Mm. My belief in other topics has, um, I could probably extrapolate one or two ideas and build from that. Mm -hmm. But right now I don't think I could articulate anything more interesting than, than that. Right. And, and that's, that's again, you kind of have to realize who you are and, and what you're saying. Cause I can go on stage and rant about guns, but you know, if it's, if it's not me saying anything clearer and different than what I've already said before, then, okay, then let's wait. You know, yeah. let's take the time till we figure out where, where, where my ideas are going to go, yeah. you know, or if there's a different angle I want to approach with it. Right. Um, if you forced yourself, it would come because you're, you're, you're either restating what you already felt, um, or you're just going through the motions of, uh, trying to put something new together that you don't really believe. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and I've done that on stage where I've gotten on stage and thought, well, I got to talk about this topic. Mm -hmm. And I, and it never, I might get, I might get one or two lines, one or two jokes that fit into other things, mm -hmm. but it's never a full idea. Yeah. You know, because like you said, it's forcing it. Right. And it just, it sounds disingenuous and it doesn't sound organic. Right. And, so, so to me, unless I have something interesting to say about something, I'm not, but, but that's, again, that's living in the moment. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not going to talk about something that I don't feel like is something I need to talk about right now. Yeah. And what's great about our business is, uh, if I don't talk about it, that's fine. There's like, 
37 other comics that's, that are going to talk about. That's just what I was going to say. You know, we, 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 we've got pl- plenty of them out there that are talking about <laughs> yeah. guns or any other subjects. So, you know, yeah. go, go search them out. You know, talk, talk about the stuff that's really relevant to you right now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, be who you are. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I, uh, I try to ask everybody, um, what three things do you feel, um, that you know now that you wish you would have known when you started? Oh, wow. That is a, that's a big question. That's the only I, structured I think, part of this whole, this whole podcast. So. <laughs> 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 I like it. Um, I think the first one is, uh, don't be afraid to fail. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's because failure doesn't mean that it's over. Failure is, is, is just a lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I was 16, I, I definitely did not, uh, did not have that Mm. (laughs) mindset is like, even when I, when I'm doing these daily videos there, I'll, I'll do them. And then, you know, at the end of them, I'll be like, ah, that one wasn't great. You know, I, I didn't feel particularly great about that one. And then it's like, it's, that's fine. You know, like think about it, think about what, what you could have done differently and improve it for tomorrow and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Rather than getting stuck on the fact that today's video wasn't as good as it could have been, you know, or, or two days ago, man, that was, that was a banger that, you know, that, that one got so many likes and every, there's mm-hmm. so many people commenting, um, so, you know, I, I think being okay with that is, is one. If you be see flexible. me, if you see me looking down, I've, I've started taking notes on all my podcasts now. So I, I, I devoted a book to, um, taking oh, notes man. to everybody I talk to. So smart. these three things, that, that's the one I write down for everybody. So that's what I'm doing. That's, that's very smart. <laughs> yeah, That's very smart. Um, the other thing I would say is, is flexibility, like, to, to just be flexible mm-hmm. and not be so rigid um, because we're, we're dealing with a pretty flexible world around us. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and, and the flexibility is, and, and maybe this is the third thing is that flexibility is exciting and yep. embrace, embrace the chaos, mm-hmm. you know, because that's, that's what's going to keep live entertainment alive for, you know, yep. the, the duration of, uh, of our existence mm. is the fact that like, you don't know what's coming next. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's, that's the chaos of what's exciting. Mm. You know, there, there might be an audience member that, that throws a beer bottle at you. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh man, we didn't, couldn't have seen that one coming. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like this happened to me a, a few weeks ago where it was a joke that I wrote for me and uh, it would seldom get a laugh and it fucking crushed. It's the only time that it's ever crushed. And I was like, what yeah. happened? <laughs> <laughs> like this joke never does this yeah. well, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it was exciting. So, but you know, so embrace that chaos. Mm-hmm. I, I think those are, those are my three things is, uh, don't be afraid to fail, be flexible and embrace the chaos. That's great. Yeah. And those are different from, uh, no, don't be afraid to fail. I've, I've heard that a couple of times, but the other, the yeah. other two I haven't heard. So, you know, oh. you get something new every time. Ah. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Um, so Chris, um, when people want to get a hold of you or find out what you're doing, uh, what's the best way, what's all your social media outlets and your website and all that kind of stuff. 
yeah, uh, the easiest way to find all of my videos and my albums and uh, hopefully the eventual tour dates uh, will be on my website, which is ramennoodlescomedy.com. It's R-A-M-A-N noodlescomedy.com. Um, and you can follow me on uh, pretty much all of all of the social media stuff at Krish Mohan Haha. It's mm. K-R-I-S-H-M-O-H-A-N-H-A-H-A. Okay. So that's my Twitter, my Facebook and Instagram. And um, I'm on minds.com and mm-hmm. uh, which is a weird alternative social media thing that I need to get back on. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm on a, I'm on a bunch of different things. Great. Did you do the uh, <laughs> artwork on your website? I did some of it. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, the yeah i i do a lot of design stuff and draw a whole bunch um and sometimes i'm like well this is this seems fun Um, i'll add that to the yeah i I like it i i also like i also like uh um the heavy music that you play um too uh oh cool yeah i'm uh i'm 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 an old metalhead and um i don't listen to as much metal as i used to but um when i hear heavy music i always get into it so yeah Yeah. uh the band that's that i'm using as my intro music is uh uh is a band called old game Mm -hmm. pittsburgh they are uh phenomenal they're amazing um and they're super super sweet people too Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I will say that's one of the things that, uh, that I am missing with this quarantine is, is going out and, and hanging out and listening to, to live music. Yeah. So <laughs> same here, I, you know, you know? I, uh, uh, yeah, my, my wife and I, there, there was a meme that kind of, uh, was the uh epitome of us we're we're the we're the older couple at all the punk concerts sitting in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's what i'm 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 uh i'm getting to that level too man <laughs> yeah i had i had to write that band name down so i didn't forget it but yeah that's old game yes yeah. they are they are fantastic yeah, yeah. Good highly stuff. recommend them well yeah. uh chris i tell you i appreciate the time you spent with me and uh it's it's been fun getting to know you this is the second time we've talked you know first yeah, time I was in a th- group but uh you know, I really, I really enjoy learning and, uh, just, just finding different perspectives and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad Zach, uh, Zach, uh, sent you to me because, uh, me this was, this was great. I, you know, I'd really like fun. to check in with you after this is all over, um, and, and see how we come out of it. So, uh, stay in touch. <laughs> I absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully I'll be in, uh, I'll be in, in, in Michigan and, Indiana and uh I think in the fall right now is is tentatively where that's that's yeah. um that's gonna be scheduled. So cool. uh yeah, I will definitely let you know and hopefully we'll we'll get to hang out and talk more about yeah. comedy and, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> and weird big ideas. Off is insincere.